welcome to Panels in Motion, the podcast where we read a comic, watch the movie adaptation, and figure out what went right or what went wrong. Wrong. Today we're talking about the adventures of Tintin, the Belgian sensation. The Belgian sensation? I thought we were supposed to watch Vin Tintin. Vin Tintin? <laughs> the dog? Vin Tintin, From the, the 50s? dog. From um, the 50s. So the, uh, the books that we read today were three volumes of The Adventures of Tintin. There are 24 total. Um, So we read three from the middle, which were later adapted into a movie. Those were The Crab with the Golden Claws, um, The Secret of the Unicorn, and Red Rackham's Treasure. They were all written and illustrated by Hergé and translated by Leslie Lonsdale Cooper and Michael Turner. The basic story premise of the entire series is just Tintin is a boy reporter who solves mysteries alongside a colorful cast of characters. And that's just sort of the through line for all 24 books. Yeah. And I um, don't know what freaking teenager um, is living on their own in their own apartment who drives cars, flies airplanes, shoots guns. Andre, and he's Andre, a world was, famous reporter. This was wow. Belgium. In the like 30s, 40s, 50s, Listen, it was a different time. Andre, <laughs> if if kids can work in the mines, they can be world-renowned reporters. Okay, I don't just I, get I it just, right. No, they're only allowed to work if we don't recognize them for it. Did you did you know in Belgium <laughs> you're required to learn how to shoot a gun when you're four years old? Oh, I didn't know that. Thanks for that information. Yeah, definitely. And you also learn you have to learn how to fly a plane too. Well, it's, it's, well, it's funny that you say that he's a teen because I could have sworn. I, I just could you just try and envision him from my perspective? Like I read the whole thing and watched the whole movie with the idea that Tintin just kind of looks like a baby, but he's an adult. He's like <laughs> he's mean. just a he's a baby faced person. So I had this whole thing about like Nick, it's a baby faced person like in media. How does like, he feel? Finally, representation. <laughs> representation, <I know>. exactly. <laughs> And that's all out the window. Um, as we said, the books were originally released actually between the 30s and the 70s. Um, the first 21 volumes were released between 1930 and I think the early 50s uh, or the early 60s. And then over the following two decades uh, before Hershey died, he created another like two and a half. Uh, so he didn't finish the final one. So the Tintin books, they created an entire comics industry in Europe. And they defined the style of what is now known as Franco-Belgian comics. Um, And it was just an international sensation, truly. It has been uh, translated into 110 languages, according to the official Tintin website. Uh, But for some reason, it never really caught on in America the way that it did in other countries. Huh. So, yeah, no, I, the first time I heard about it was from the movie, and then that's it. Well, I, I didn't even know there was a movie about it. Um, I, I, I first time I heard about it was when we started doing this episode. Like, I really, yeah, I never heard about Tintin, period. My dad uh, has a friend who, like, his hair, if he doesn't do anything to it, it has, like, a little wisp in the front, so sometimes he calls him Tintin. So, clearly, <laughs> it's, like, it's in the, the culture. It's in like, the zeitgeist. know about it. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So what were you guys' uh, overall thoughts on these three books? There were three, so they were all a little different, but I guess what were your overall thoughts on the series itself? Um, I thought, can I go first? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that uh, it was really um, fun read. I, I, I wrote like as my general notes that it's it's like a fun adventure that feels like a little time capsule to the past. Uh, but it never, it never feels like it's a product of the past. It's really like... Um, <laughs> Even in today's standards, like it, it feels really fluid in the in, in, in the in the interactions and in the action, um, which really surprised me. Like it never felt dated. 
And in that regard, I thought maybe this is kind of ahead of its time and why it's so popular because um, it's it really felt timeless. Like while I was reading it, like I, I I just felt like the comedy was so on point. And I don't know if that's a European thing, but like it was very little slapstick. It was very heavy on like the situational humor and repetition, which I I actually like think is is a, a, the comedic style that's prevalent today. Like a lot of like the Thompson and Thompson shit, which the best people ever, the best. Um, a lot of that, a lot of their, their comedy scenes. Like I was like, man, this is like, I could, I feel like I could watch this on TV right now. And this is like the kind of comedy that we're going to get, you know? So definitely. Yeah. So it, it, it really, it really felt like it was, uh, it felt like an adventure in the past, but it never felt like I was in a different universe. Like I feel like whenever I read, like whenever I've seen like panels or, or red pages from like old Batman comics from that time period, it's just like, it feels completely different. So it was a really fun adventure at the end of the day. It dragged sometimes. I felt like uh, the speech bubbles were way long sometimes. Oof, yeah. I, I didn't love how Tintin was like, I wonder what's going on. And then he's like, ah, this, you know, like that whole boy wonder thing kind of annoyed me at times. But at the end of the day, I, I really liked it. And I really liked how they tied in that treasure chase to it. Um, um, the Secret of the Unicorn book was was like really, really entertaining. And like the plot was so cleverly weaved. I, I just I just really liked it overall. Um and yeah, and I was curious enough to look at the last one just to kind of see how it grew. I think it's amazing how like it was so it ran for so long and it became such a sensation. And I see why. I see why. Yeah, I totally agree. I just had a great time with these books. In fact, I'm probably going to get more of them and read more of them, if not all of them. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm really probably. curious. That's a <laughs> lot. You. Ones- Knowing you, you will. <laughs> I probably will. But all the ones uh, before the one that we read. Uh, if you look at the covers, they're all like Tintin going to some other country. And it looks like there's like some pretty heavy racist stuff in them. Like mm. the Tintin in America, the cover is him uh, tied up to a pole as a Native American holds up like a, a hatchet. Oh, and, oh. <laughs> and yeah, the first one's called Tintin in the Land of the Soviets. The second one is never reprinted with all the others. It's reprinted separately, like just for collectors, because it's about him going to, quote, darkest Africa. And um, yeah, but from the one that we watched and on forward, I feel like that stuff mostly disappeared because all the other ones, it seems to be more just fun adventure just with these crazy characters with mm-hmm. the exception of like every like whenever they show like a black person in in, yeah, in the totally. in the ones that we read like they're completely stereotyped and yeah um, and there's like yeah, exactly. there's also there's also one uh asian character in the the first comic i believe and it i had to zoom in pretty pretty uh pretty far to see that he is drawn in the very stereotypical like asian <laughs> yeah. asian man in the yeah. 30s way i yeah, yeah like breakfast at tiffany's <laughs> actually oh, God, yes yeah. ex- exactly yeah. it's exactly like that i i wonder about that nick um real quick uh how is that perceived in today like like because I, I don't know i don't know what the what the feel is in the comics world like do people regard them as like 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 racist or the people like kind of be like the product of its time like how, how yeah and, all and, of the above i think uh, that's typical if people are looking at older works uh if you're a fan of older works, at least in America. Like mm-hmm. if you're a fan of old Looney Tunes, you know every now and then there's going to be some racist thing or some really sexist thing. And, you know, it's just a product of its time. And it. those are the ones that won't be rerun on Boomerang. Gotcha. <laughs> Damn, so I can't watch it on a plane. Exactly. <laughs> but if you get the DVDs, 
you can see whatever you want. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is the same thing with Tintin. If a collector wants to seek out the ones that have that sort of material on it, uh, then they can. But if you only want to give your kid the ones, like the later ones, then that's fine too. Gotcha. Um, why, one more question. Why did you pick the, uh, oh, I know why, because the movie used the three that we used. Um, but like, yeah. why did, what, like, how far in are we in Tintin when we start the first one, you know, on the ones that we read? Because we read, yeah. we read the first one was the crab one. Yeah. How far in are we on Golden Claws was volume nine. There's 24 total. And then so, the other two were eleven and twelve. So, so I know that um, 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 Captain Haddad was or Haddock was introduced in the mm-hmm. the crab with the golden claw, and yeah. uh, and um, that's the first time he appears, right? Yeah, and he's in I think every volume after yeah. that. Yeah, if exactly. Not almost, he or, he was in the last one, so I, I assumed he was in every volume after because he was in the last one, which which I was like, oh, mm-hmm. so he's he's not he's like a he's like a he he's a reoccurring character after that yeah. one. He's on the cover of almost every volume. Gotcha. And then Professor Calculus makes a lot of appearances later. Um, ah, Professor yeah. Calculus. Oh, calculus. <laughs> <laughs> Ahead of his time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Luke, what were your overall thoughts? Well, you know, um, I love the art a lot. Um, the f- first, like, the first page I opened, I was like, oh, this looks exactly like uh, Ben Sears' work, with his, which is this yeah. uh, comic il- uh, illustrator. Good. I I wasn't sure if you knew about him, but like I I just of course Nick knows. Of course, I have a poster that is. Uh, I'll send it to you later. Really? It's, it's this like floating world, and it's all these people like just going about their lives. Yeah, I, it's, very, I, it's very good. I I found out about him because uh, he did a couple like merch designs of emo bands that I like. So I was like, oh, who's this guy? I like his work, and then his comics are really really good too. But um, mm-hmm. um, I I liked it. Um. I can I can kind of understand why it didn't really take off in America, but we can talk about that a little bit later. Um, I hated the way that they did the speech bubbles, where like their heads were like their heads took. Oh no! Like, I love that. In, oh no! I yeah no because I, okay. What do you, so you, what do you mean? What in do you mean? older comics, a lot of the time, uh, like the speech bubbles and the captions were like just at the top. And then the drawings were below that. But then this, it was always like the half of the character's head would be in the bottom part of the speech bubble. So they would be overlapping. So I don't, so I don't think like that that was a problem more than it's just like the fact that there were so many words that they had to put the character's head in the yes. fucking bubble. Like, yeah. But it, 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 again, like I give it a pass. You gotta like, like I give it a pass because it's like, that's just the style uh, yeah. at that time. Like if you think about uh, Barbarella, Mm-hmm. Oh like, my god! Was, yeah, that was so dense. I think a lot yeah. of European comics, even today, uh, specifically take from Tintin, and so they tend to have a lot of panels on the page and a lot of like dialogue in the bubbles. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in American and especially manga, um, it's the opposite. It's just keep your bubbles as light as possible. Yeah, that's 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 my my preferred style. I would rather read a hundred pages of panels that are like nicely neatly spaced out than 60 just dense dense pages well everything is different it depends on like what you're in the mood for but but i i think i do think that like it like i get what you're saying it's dense you know it's and i agree with you it's dense and it's like it wasn't a quick read it it was less pages than a silent voice but it was like almost the same amount of time to read for me 
So maybe a little less, but 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 um, it just it was a lot to to to, to digest. It took me yeah two hours per volume. Yeah. Oh about. It, well, you know me, I read fast, so it took like forty five minutes, thirty minutes. Yeah. Then but, why are you complaining? <laughs> get the fuck out of here! Oh but, uh, my god. So so let let me get let me back, get back to my my thoughts about this. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the stories; they were very unique. Uh, you can definitely see that a lot of writers and like basically like any form of art took so much from Tintin and just made it their own over the years. It's so interesting reading these comics that came out in the 30s and 40s and 50s and then seeing how, because I guess anyone who wasn't American grew up with reading Tintin as a big part of their lives, they then, whether consciously or subconsciously, took the a lot of the the parts and characters and, and jokes from Tintin and then put it into their own work. Like the door behind the hidden barrel that reveals a secret passageway, uh, the two bumbling idiot detectives. Um, I mean, a lot of this is also it was common, just adventure stuff at the time. Uh-huh. But I do think that Tintin sort of perfected it, and it's gone on to uh, influence so many people. Whereas a lot of the stuff that was happening around it uh, hasn't. Yeah, one of the one of the my my favorite examples is. Uh, when Johnson and Johnson, or is it Thompson and Thompson? Thompson, Thompson and Thompson. Yeah, don't disrespect Thompson and Thompson. Johnson and Johnson is a, uh, <laughs> a like a lotion big, company, a big pharma <laughs> company. Yeah, <laughs> they're like following Tintin in um in that one like city in the Middle East, and Tintin like runs into him. They're like, "How could you tell if it was us? We were wearing a shroud. Like we oh were my wearing God, these shrouds." So funny, and that they that's literally in. Taiko Waikiti's Thor Ragnarok, like mm-hmm. where they're they're trying to ex- escape the planet, and you know, uh, Valkyrie or or uh, Banner goes like, "Oh yeah, like how are you supposed to disguise yourself? You're Thor," and he goes, "Oh, I got a little shroud over my face. No one could tell who I, I am." I love that. I do think that it's less like I don't think that was a direct influence from Tintin, but mm-hmm. I think that it's just proof that Tintin was ahead of its time. Yeah. Because yeah. the types of things that we're seeing today were done back then, whether or not people were influenced by it. Oh, and talking about Thompson and Thompson, like, and, and, and how it was ahead of its time, like this one, this one was, this one was one that really like got me that I was like, fuck, this thing is amazing um, for its time. It, 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 that moment when Tintin was like, hey, go discreetly find out what that guy is up to. And then Thompson and Thompson just straight up go to him and they follow him. They sit down with him and they ask, are you a drug dealer? And the entire time, the gag was like not told to us. Like, like we, we were, we saw that they were following them. We saw that they set a meeting with him. Like, like, like until the moment that they asked, like, are you a drug dealer? Like it, it wasn't trying to throw that it was a joke on your face. Like it was just very like funny, like a realization, like these guys were not discreet at all. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and I would not, and I would not, I don't see that. And, and stuff from the fifties, not even like the sixties. Like I really see that stuff like today, like, um, that yeah. kind of very subtle humor. That's like very dry and yeah. um, specific like that. You know, a lot of the humor landed really well, like, especially not just Thompson Thompson, but also professor calculus. And now that I'm saying oh, this, so a lot good. of the humor <laughs> is really character based, which yeah. it yes. just helps it be timeless. Because yes. Professor Calculus, it's like every time you say something to him, he hears something completely different and he has no idea that anybody's misinterpreting him. Too or, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's so good. And then uh Captain Haddock just being this crazy drunk 
That's so fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. I know right? And like, and just like spouting out like, you know, barbarous barnacles or a, a thousand uh, typhoons. Billions like, of billions, billions of blistering bar- blue barnacles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. Just like, oh, at, at first, like the, I think the first time they used that, uh, he was talking to like a, a Middle Eastern soldier. And I was like, oh, is, is there some like racist stuff right here? And then like four pages later, he just, there that's was just one, his catchphrase. That's just what he does. And it's just like you know, creatures. There was creature. one, one of his, one of his, one of his um, insults was like a product of its time in terms of like it was like on that line. But that was it was only one. Only one of them was like that. Yeah. Everything else was yeah. very like random. It goes back to uh, the translation because True. I'm not mm. sure what it mm. was in the original. Uh, I don't that's know if it point. was originally in French or if Belgium has its own language. I think um, there is, but I think they mostly speak French. Okay. So I'm not sure if like the original thing was just him saying nonsense, but in uh, the translation, they didn't do literal translations. They just did mm. like words that uh, sounded yeah. crazy and yeah. funny and that were just completely uh, random. Gotcha. That must have been fun to translate. The reason why Hergé did that uh, was because he wanted the character to just be this like foul mouthed sailor. And obviously he couldn't do that because it was like nominally made for kids. Um, and so he just had him say sh- random shit. What did you think, Nick? What were your overall thoughts? Well, I, I mostly said it um, as you guys oh, you were uh, talking. No. But yeah, I, I love these books and I just had so much fun. It's just the type of adventure stuff that I love. I love the like can be read by anyone. It's not too adult. It's not too kid. Like it has really smart humor. Uh, it is just a fun adventure read um, and just great characters and just engaging stories. I loved everything about this. Um, it really reminded me of the Donald Duck adventure comics, which came out around the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and which I also really love and were definitely like the two definitely influenced each other. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was really good shit. Um, yeah. I just wanted to say I had a note here um, that said, uh, I just want to let you guys know that I have a note here that says, "What is Tintin? Is he a child, <laughs> a man with a baby face? What's his deal? Needs to be discussed." I, I, I wrote that like seriously. <laughs> I was like, "Let me get well, to the bottom." We got that of this. one out of the way because that yeah. could have been a really hairy one. <laughs> uh, Tintin. Oh man, which one was your favorite? Well, it's. I feel like each of the three was very different. Like the first one, The Crab with the Golden Claws, was just nonstop adventure set pieces. Every few pages, you would be in a new locale with a new like situation that they would have to deal with. Uh, the second one that we read, The Secret of the Unicorn, was this big detective mystery. And then the third one, Red Rackham's Treasure, was this really slow burn treasure hunt story. So I yeah. feel like they each did something very different. Yeah. But there was a better one, obviously. Yeah, the second one, the, the secret second of the one. unicorn. Yeah, yeah and, the second and, one. And, <laughs> yeah, like, like, like the first one. The first one. I remember reading the first one. I was like, "God damn it, Nick! What are you making me yeah, do?" Yeah, no. But then by, I was worried but by too. The time, but by the time I got to the end of the first one, I was like, "Okay, I can, I can get down with this." Especially because t- I'm telling you, Thompson and Thompson were the fucking best. Like that, that gag mm-hmm. at the end where they like went straight to the guy and was like, "Are you a drug dealer?" Like that sealed the deal mm-hmm. for me. I was like, "This book is worth reading." So then, um, when 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 I read Secret of the Unicorn, I was like, "Whoa!" Like I wanted to say, like like I said it before, 
it was like that plot was real tight. Like every single piece mm-hmm. of that story yeah. like went together and it fulfilled like a bigger purpose. Like the whole thing with the wallet feet, like you think that it's just like the stupid little oh, gag so with Thompson good. and Thompson, which is so fucking funny, right? But but like I love how that became an actual part of the story because the guy ended up stealing the wallet of the dude who stole the thing from Tintin, you know? So like I, I thought like, mm-hmm. wow, this was really well thought out and it like all felt so good good you know and 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 yeah. that hands down to me was the best one but um but and then the, the the treasure hunt was fun and funny but it wasn't nearly as close as the second one and the yeah. third one was just way too slow oh yeah it, there was a point where yeah. it was just pages and pages and i was like okay like get on with it it seemed the, like he was they, just trying to fill up the 62 pages yeah they literally have a point where it's like day day four day 10 day 12 and it's just separate yeah. panels of them <laughs> digging and finding nothing getting more and more frustrated and i'm like i don't care i don't yeah. i don't need this i i i, I love Th- thompson and thompson pumping the air like that that was one of those things that's what they had to do to scuba dive in the past which is like oh i forget that this doesn't take place in modern times they have to pump the air and mm-hmm. and then like the panels of them like going and going and going it's like so good mm-hmm. and then i love how they actually they're like not just gag characters they're real they're like real characters because like if it were just gag characters they would have been like it would have been like stupid and silly the entire time but then you saw them getting frustrated you saw them getting annoyed you saw mm-hmm. them getting tired and then at the end they're like fuck this i'm never gonna pump <laughs> air to anyone again and then they go to someone's farm and then they're doing the same shit so like yeah. they were gag characters but they were very holistic gag characters you know they were mm-hmm. um they were good I have yeah. my note here said Hart Thompson and Thompson. <laughs> hey, yeah. Hart Thompson 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 to be precise. Oh, in the <laughs> so that was something else I wanted to, to mention. The way that their stuff was translated was interesting to me because sometimes I felt like it wasn't like I, it felt like in the original it was probably the the character says something and then the other character says the same thing, but backwards, but with the same words. Mm-hmm. But then huh. here, sometimes they would just say the exact same thing, but the second guy would say it to be precise. Yeah, that's a good it point. still worked, but I thought it was unique. I thought yeah. it was interesting. I was like, huh, like that's, that's funny. Like that's like not mm-hmm. a, I almost feel like it was funnier because I, I almost like expect the other one. Like this one is like to be precise. Like there's a certain like level of like, seriousness that you don't need to have because the thing was literally just that, <laughs> like to be precise you know i don't know well there's only one way to find yeah. out nick you're gonna have to learn french and read the originals what did you guys think of the art we already said that we felt like the pages were really dense and there were a lot of panels on them and that's true but uh what do you think of herge's actual designs and layouts and all that um first i do want to say his style has come to be known as i'm going to pronounce this wrong but ling claire uh which is it translates to clear line because, you know, it's just a very uh, clean line style. Mm-hmm. And anytime that you see that today, they were 100% influenced by Hergé. Um, That's cool. I'm pretty sure that style didn't really exist until, like, he perfected it. And, yeah, just, I, I love it. I think that his designs, because they take a character and they remove anything that's inessential. It's cartooning, but it still looks real. And it, just the small amount that is left, like two dots for an eye for the eyes, yeah. a very small curve for the nose, uh, the little like three wisps to make Tintin's hair. Uh, just that line style, it allows him so much 
just latitude in terms of what he's able to depict, but without having to draw a ton. And that's such a fascinating thing to me. Mm. Yeah. 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 I, 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 um, I, I liked it. I didn't really think much of it, but I think that that speaks to the quality of it. Like it never got in the way. It always enhanced the story. It felt good. Um, and it was from the forties and it didn't feel like it at times. Like, like I keep saying, so it, uh, I, it did a good job in my eyes. Like, in retrospect, like nice, and and it makes sense that this influenced a lot moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it it felt very much like something which you know we mentioned before kids could read as children, but then it has enough depth so that an adult can really appreciate the work that was put into it too. Yeah, yeah, and also because of that, the fact that the art was simple but also really good, he could then be like, oh, you know what, I'm gonna have a whole like six panels of you know the bottom of the ocean with like a bunch of seaweed and shells and broken and broken wood from the from boats and stuff like that whereas yeah. i don't know if it was more detailed he'd be like no i'm not i can't do that i don't i don't have the time to do that whereas <laughs> you can just be like whoop 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 all right cool great whoop, it looks whoop. it looks amazing whoop 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 and also that, like, is, that they, is the hair they, drawing they, noise they, <laughs> he did like a lot of great things he, he did a lot of great things with shading and stuff like that well do you mean the coloring the coloring yeah well i'm not sure if Hergé actually did the coloring oh well fuck him then <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the Screw coloring is interesting i didn't i didn't find any information about it online i didn't look very hard but yeah, I'm curious to see if it was him or not. I know that a lot of the early ones were first released in black and white. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. then that also makes sense because black and white, you can you have to use different sorts of black and white to create depth and stuff like that. But he didn't. And that's the whole point of his style. Oh. It's oh. Ling Claire. He only uses fine lines. It's mm-hmm. every line is the same thickness. Um, so, you know, in most comics, you would have just lines of varying thickness and you'd have a lot of hatching and cross hatching and shading mm-hmm. of different yeah, types. Yeah. Uh, but then this, it's all just that one thin line. Every, everything that you see is just that one thin line. You know, you know, you know what it reminds me of? Doug. Doug yeah. 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 Doug. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I'm looking back and forth between image of, of Doug and Tintin and it's so, so interesting. It looks the same. Something else that I found interesting about the art, uh, it takes on what I think of as like a proscenium style. So to clarify, or rather to, to be, be precise, precise. Um, <laughs> it's a proscenium style. <laughs> I recently read this book by Chris Ware. If you guys know who that is, he made Jimmy Corrigan. Um, and yeah, he's just a very well-known and respected cartoonist of today. And, uh, his style is very minimalist also. And, uh, he definitely takes a lot from old newspaper comics. And Mm -hmm. if you look at old newspaper comics from like the early, early 19th century, um, and if you think about like theatrical cartoons, like Looney Tunes, uh, they have this style where everything that you see, it's like either the character, you see their full body or you see like mostly just the top half of their body and it's on a pretty static background and in the comics of the time uh like you would always it would always be that sort of framing and so when you have that it creates less the feeling of a camera moving around uh whereas i think that modern comics uh the every panel looks like a shot 
uh, from a yeah. camera and it has a specific angle. Whereas in a book like Tintin, everything looks like it's shot from the same distance. And it's not about having different camera angles. It's about the way that the characters move in the limited uh, framing that you're giving them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can agree with that totally. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Wow. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it's it's a very different style than, as we keep saying, than as American comics or as manga. And ah, I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's really, really cool. All right. So let's move on to the movie. Let's take our break. We'll be let's back in a second. It. All right. We'll be back in a second with new stuff. Yay. Woo! Woo! That's from All the right. Amanda show. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at multiversitycomics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. Welcome back. And welcome back. <laughs> wow. I'm, oh, I'm you are stepping all over me today. <laughs> and welcome back. Check yourself. Who's the host here, Andre? Who was the Check host? Yourself. So, uh, so now we're going to talk about the movie discussion. Uh, so what did you guys think about Tintin the movie? We're taking it was over, uh, directed by it's Steven Spielberg, produced by Peter Jackson. I'm taking oh, over now. Well, uh-huh. I thought we were like doing a mutiny, like you and me. Are you like throwing me overboard too? What the fuck? <laughs> Andre's like, I'm only in a mutiny and if, if we can both do it. <laughs> I'm like a collaborative kind of thing, you know? Like, I don't want to do this alone. I believe that's called a revolution, Andre. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Back to okay. me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm taking the reins back. So the movie uh, was somehow directed by Steven Spielberg, produced by Peter Jackson, written by Stephen Moffat and Edgar Wright with Joe Cornish, with music by John Williams. This is yeah. what a weird yeah. makes no sense. God. What a combination. What is and based the- on a 50s Belgian comic? <laughs> yeah, like that's 40s. like the weirdest thing I've ever and, and of all things, this. Like what a oh, weird and, combination. And produced by Nickelodeon movies. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. Oh, I, oh, I saw that. I saw that. I was confused by that too. So many things about this movie were just like so weird. Like, why? Yeah. Like how and it's not- like it's so it distinctly worked. British too yeah which we'll yeah. talk about but wow just yeah just wow and then it also kind of felt like polar express but okay uh, I, we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about that, that. <laughs> see I, I was i was fine with everything else except when i read stephen moffat and that's when i just like blew off the handle because like these guys are all, obviously all friends you know steven steven hangs out with peter on the weekend and gets the drinks whiskey <laughs> with john you know edgar right he talks really fast but whatever i don't know who john cornish is unfortunately sorry nick joe cornish and edgar wright are uh writing partners and this was one of the first things that they worked on together but yeah no yeah so like stephen moffat did a draft of it and then edgar wright and joe cornish worked on the draft because stephen moffat sucks at everything he writes oh 
Oh, I disagree. No, nope. yeah, I, I was a huge fan of a lot of his Doctor Who stuff, the earlier Doctor Who stuff. Uh, which... We're talking about the earlier Doctor Who stuff. We're not talking about the yeah. older Doctor Who stuff. No, so no, yeah. We both agree on that. Yeah, we yeah. all agree. Steven Spielberg actually, um, uh, the Wikipedia article said that he, quote, love bombed Stephen Moffat. So I guess he just sent him a bunch of like messages like, I love, I love your work. Please write this movie for me. Please write this for me. And I just think that's hilarious, number one. But number two, um, (laughs) Stephen Moffat, at the time, he had had like a bunch of credits and it was mostly on comedy stuff. But then he had done three uh, Doctor Who uh, episodes, four episodes, but one of them was two-parter. And those were the Weeping Angels episode, which won a bunch of awards. The best episode of Doctor Who, period. The Girl in the Fireplace, which was the one when uh, David Tennant's character goes back in time, like, with this princess queen and like falls in love with her at yeah. different points in her life, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was everybody cute. loved that yeah. one. That and that cute. won a bunch of awards too. Oh, and wow. also the first one with uh, Captain Jack Harkness, which, you know, Whoa. was popular enough to sp- spawn an entire spinoff series. Yeah. Well, Captain Jack was the fucking best. I-, I think it's kind of funny that Steven Spielberg is probably one of those people then who has like those bumper stickers on the back of his car that says my other car is a TARDIS. Basically, he was like, <laughs> he's like driving his Ferrari and it's like my other car is a TARDIS. I'm a big Stephen Moffat fan. He's my favorite. <laughs> I love David Tennant. Like, and that's like Steven Spielberg on a regular day. So, like when- <laughs> So this, uh, this when he reached out to Stephen Moffat, it was only shortly after that last episode, the Weeping Angels episode had aired. Really? And so I am assuming that he saw that and he was like, I need this guy. I need this guy to write my movie. So how's the story? Like, what's the story of like how Peter Jackson got involved? Like all of a sudden, Steven oh, Spielberg, like how did that work? How did this whole work? Explain. So <laughs> Hergé and Spielberg have been mutual. I'm going to start there. Hergé and Spielberg had been mutual admirers of each other's work. Uh, when Hergé was still alive. And then uh, Hergé always said that he felt like Spielberg was the only one that he thought could do Tintin justice as a movie. Okay. And so Spielberg had a meeting to discuss optioning the rights in 1983, and Hergé died days before the meeting. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's a big blow. And then uh, his widow ended up granting them the rights anyway. Oh, that's nice. And... Yeah, so, okay, that makes wow. sense. The movie actually started pre-production, and they were doing a script, and uh, just by the time that the rights expired, uh, Spielberg just wasn't happy with the way that the script was going, mm-hmm. and so the rights reverted back to the Hergé estate, Okay, and other people came in and tried to get the rights, and uh, they would always deny them, and then Spielberg came back in 2002 and then they granted him the rights again. And that's when they really started production on this movie, which came out in 2011. Wow. I think it's really fascinating that um, he knew the first, the, the actual writer. Like, he actually knew the mm-hmm. source. Like, it wasn't just some random Hollywood dude. Like, he had a relationship with that guy. And he was, and he was like, I want you to produce my film. Like, that's, yeah. that's really cool. Imagine doing pre-production for 40 years. Yeah, that, thirty years. I'm in pre-production for two weeks, and I want to kill myself. Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. But I imagine that he like it just the project didn't work out the first time, and then he was like, "Yeah, uh, fuck that. I'm gonna go produce Roger Rabbit, a BRB." And then he came back, and he was like, "Hey, remember me? I'm Steven Spielberg, bitch." And then she was like, "All right, Steve, here's the rights. Uh, make me money." And then he was like, "Bam! Let me bring in the weirdest ensemble of people ever." So how the hell did Peter Jackson <laughs> Wait, get involved? Okay. So Peter Jackson. Um, <laughs> 
uh, Spielberg was going back and forth between like, do I want this to be live action? Do I want this to be animated? He settled on animated, but then he was like, there's something, something else that I want. And Peter no! Jackson's studio uh, was Weta, Wep- yeah, Weta. Weta um, Labs, I think, Weta Labs. And they were the people who were like really revolutionizing motion capture animation, uh, specifically in Lord of the Rings, Smeagol. And uh, that was like just a big deal. So the guy who played Smeagol was the guy who played Haddock in this movie. Fun fact. Oh, wow. Um, I, cool. I can see that. I can see that. And uh, the guys who played Thompson and Thompson, did you realize who they were? They, the no. Mario Brothers? It was, um, yeah. No. <laughs> what? I don't know. I said the Mario Brothers, and you're like, yeah. The Mario Brothers. Like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. and you're like, I don't know. What? <laughs> <laughs> I was yes-anding you? I wasn't. Yeah. I didn't know what you said. Anyway, um, it was... Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, the two guys who were the main characters in oh. Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, and no. um, the World's I, End. I was I was so confused because oh, I good. saw his name and then I did I saw Simon Pegg's name and then I didn't hear him and I'm like, why is he? They did a good job. Why was he here? What, did he produce? No. They did a so good that job. makes sense. So the way that this movie was shot is so interesting uh, because this was like the late aughts and they were basically shooting it using virtual reality. That's so, insane. Oh. Yeah. So everybody, all the actors wore motion capture suits. And um just like he basically went around and he used a controller. And like as he would move the controller, the camera would move. And so he used that to actually film it in this digital environment. So that's exactly and, what he did to Polar, Polar Express with the Polar yeah, Express, right? And the Polar Express. So there was a time when this style of animation was really catching on and people yeah. really thought it was the next big thing. Like Monster House and Happy Feet used it, the Polar Express. And uh, to this day, um, a lot of big Hollywood action movies use motion capture uh, technology, like all of the Avengers movies. Mm-hmm. Like that's all motion capture digital animation. And yeah. it's all awesome. shot in similar ways to how this was. So did, um, I guess, first of all, it's awesome because the uh, animation is really, really almost creepily real especially when it's like those wide shots yeah yeah i think that's why it didn't really catch on because like when you watch a cartoon character even if it's 3d you're expecting them to move like a cartoon character but these people were truly moving like humans and it it looked creepy sometimes it looked creepy sometimes it 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 felt human but then also like a little bit fluid like it, like when you're watching something at like 60 FPS or like yeah. the Peter Jackson, like 70, 40, 40 FPS or whatever. And you're like, yeah. this looks right, but something looks just a little different, but yeah. only when they're running. Mm-hmm. But yeah. other than that, it's fine. Yeah. But- like the way that the characters faces moved were just, there's no way that somebody can animate that with that level of detail. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. So how did um Stephen Moffat and Edgar Wright get involved then? So 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 well, he was Spielberg like Spielberg love bombed Stephen Moffat, <laughs> and, then, and then Stephen Moffat knew Edgar Wright, and he was like, yeah, I'm not sure, homie. probably because Britain's entertainment industry is really small. That makes yeah. sense. <laughs> it's too good. Yeah. What a combo! Just wow. And then John Williams, of course, John Williams, of is Steven Spielberg's yeah. boy. Yeah. And one more thing about the animation, I'm sure we'll talk more about it, but um the actors. They set up in the studio, they set up panels 
from the comics all around the studio so that the actors would always have something to reference. And they all purposely tried to match the poses that Hergé would draw the characters in. So they would watch themselves on a screen to see like the rough like character design and uh-huh. they'd try and get into the pose that the character looked like in the comics. And so those were the poses that they always tried to emulate as they were acting. That's see, really I, cool. I noticed that because, you know, I'm in charge of finding like the the animated things for social media and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. that's always a pain in the ass because everything just looks slightly different because you want to have your own creative spin on the movie compared to the comic. Mm-hmm. So this time around, I was like, okay, maybe I'll like write things down that like look familiar that like I remember and stuff like that. And no, like within like five minutes Your of the movie starting, I was like, oh, I don't have to, I don't have to worry about this at all. <laughs> like, I, yeah. like I, I already know which ones I'm gonna, I'm gonna use for the post and stuff like that. And yeah. hearing that, that's, uh, that's perfect. And that, oh, also that's something really unique that I don't really think that you see very often. I don't, awesome. if ever. Yeah, I mean it works, but it's just like, can I just be that guy? Why? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like it could just be animated. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you wait? We never really know. asked. Like, did you guys like it? Because I, yeah, I, I was, I, I was gonna oh, get yeah, into we that right now. That's what I was gonna say next. <laughs> like, we spent so much time talking about just the animation and the production stuff. But yeah, what were your overall thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I guess I'll go. Um, yeah. I like, I, I liked it in a way that I wasn't expecting to like it because I specifically, like, I, when I saw the art style, I got worried and on my notes, I specifically said Polar Express Part 2. <laughs> and I was just like, and also I was uh, watching it with my girlfriend and, the uh the opening scene where the the artist is drawing Tintin, yeah, he's doing he, the caricature, he, and, he and then does, it turns out to be the yeah, hair gay drawing. Yeah, and you're like, oh wow, that like the hair gay drawing looks so good, and then the camera pans over and you see the fucking monster <laughs> that is Tintin. <laughs> I like he, the character designs; they worked. They worked. Here's, here's yeah. the thing: I loved all the character designs throughout the whole movie except for Tintin. Tintin just felt like a, they put a little too much work into making him look realistic. Whereas with all the other characters, they had it spot on. Everyone looked exactly how I thought or imagined in the comic. Whereas Tintin felt like, felt like too real. This was, this was originally yeah. supposed to be a lot like, like, I they were gonna find that. Nick Jonas to play Tintin. I don't know, or yeah. um, no, uh, like Ansel Elgort or something like that. Yeah, I can totally see that because it did. Yeah, Tintin looked more photorealistic in terms of his features, uh, whereas a lot of the other characters had really exaggerated either features or props that were with them. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, that is a weird uh, choice. Other than that, it just maybe because of William's soundtrack, it just felt like another Indiana Jones movie to me, except not. Like, yeah, you know, except it's Tintin, that. but I, I love Indiana Jones, so I was totally yeah. fine with it. Like Andre, I, I know that you don't like Indiana Jones. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have nothing. I've had nothing against Indiana Jones. It's just like I, I, I thought it was fine. Like it wasn't like wow, Tintin. Like it was. Oh, I, I, I'm I never thought, gonna watch it again. No, it's like they. What, I, what, okay, what I think they did right was they remixed. Like they, they, they 
took a three book like comic from the 40s and they successfully adapted it into a screenplay that made sense. Good job. Check. But then it became a blockbuster movie. And it was not like it had the spirit of Tintin. There was still like that element of like, oh, what's next? What's next? And that's really great. They did that successfully. But like it lost a lot of the humor because it ended up being gaggy humor as opposed to like like a lot of the Thompson and Thompson humor in the books were hilarious because they were character based and situational. And then the and also movie, very like they were very understated and very understated. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. in the movie, like they were just gag characters. They were 100 mm-hmm. percent gag characters. And and like it was very Hollywood-esque for that to occur, you know. And yeah, well, I just it was thought, very Spielberg, which yeah. Spielberg it's created Spielberg. the blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. So what yeah. were you expecting? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Right. But like, yeah, so it's exactly what you said. It's like it's like a blockbuster movie. It's like they took this really cool little comic, which was a giant comic, obviously, but it's like little in my world because I didn't, didn't know about it. And they made it this giant ass like blockbuster movie. And then it big they oh the whole ancestral, ancestral revenge bullshit, like like that is such oh, yeah, a bullshit kid movie yeah. thing. Like who looks at a certain fuck? point? Come on. At a certain point, I was like, wait, so Red Rackham thinks it's all the treasure is his because he stole it from a whole bunch of other people, but now uh now Haddock thinks that it's his because he stole it from Red Rackham? No, yeah. like, no, that's not even exactly. is actually right. <laughs> that's not even the part. That's not even the part. Um, well, that treasure was stolen from the king. Fuck monarchies. All right, we're we're in a, <laughs> we're in the twenty twenty bitch. But like, that, let's ignore that. But like, I'm talking about the 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 uh, it, the treasure wasn't enough for Red Rackham in the movie. He wanted to get revenge for his gra- great grandfather's um um death. Like not his death, but like for, he wanted like to get ancestral. Great, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and the thing that the movie like acts like it was the grandfather, but like if the movie took place in the forties, there's no way that their grandfather was born was, was alive during the 1700s or late 1600s when that supposedly yeah. occurred because pirates stopped existing like in the late 1700s. So so uh, like, tell that to the Somali pirates, Andre. Well, well, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Those those stereotypical <laughs> yeah. Ahoy pirates. But like but like um but tell yeah, that so, to so, One Piece, Andre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh shit. Tell it to Luffy's face. I don't want to fuck with those people. But but like but but you know you know what I'm saying though. Like like that they didn't have uh there wasn't much clarity on that and they they didn't even care to like try to make it seem like it was realistic. And then it was like the stupid ancestral blood revenge shit plot that was like that's not what Tintin is about. It's just like some bullshit like like B kids movie shit. You know, it's not a it's not that's not cool. You know, mm-hmm. it, 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 Tintin had logic. Like one of the things that was cool about Tintin, the book, even though it was geared towards kids, it was very logic based. Things made sense. Like they were selling drugs for money. They were trying to get treasure for money. They were killing people to shush them up. And in the movie, they were trying to get the treasure for revenge. What? You know, I mean, no fucking sense. It's like, keep him alive because I want him to see. I want him to remember so I can kill him. And he knows. Honestly, other than that plot point, the movie worked really well for me. Like, I felt like it was really fun. And like you said, the way that they remixed the story was so cool um, because they basically used the uh, secret of the unicorn, the best one of the three that we read of the three that the movie is based on. And uh, they used that as the overall story. And primarily the first act and parts of the last act. And then most of the second act, which is typically in a Hollywood movie, just characters like having different adventures, exploring a world. uh, They took that from all of the more episodic scenes from the first book that we read. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, that was just a really smart move, I thought. 
No, a hundred percent. No, it was not bad. And I, and I, I didn't, I don't want it to come off that way. Like I thought that they did a really good job remixing it. I just think that mm-hmm. it lost a lot of its charm when you take it and make it a blockbuster. And it's not the fault of the mm-hmm. creators or the people involved. I think it's just a natural, I think it's just a natural thing that happens when you take a comic that's not made for to made to be a movie and then you make it a movie. It's just like you get yeah. something gets lost in that translation process, you know, and that's just yeah. part of it. But honestly, watching it on a Friday night, like after a long week of work, it was, it was like good. the perfect Friday night blockbuster action movie Ag- to me. Agreed. Agreed. And it was fun. Yeah. And, and the transitions, by the way, were really awesome. I didn't, we didn't talk about that, but those goddamn transitions, I love those. And then mm-hmm. Snowy, oh my God, Snowy's so cute. In the yeah. comics, he's cute, but in the movie, he's so cute. <laughs> Andre, oh that's God. just because you got a dog. <laughs> I love, I love, I love Snowy. He was fun. He was great. Yeah. But, but anyway. There were maybe two like parts that I was like, okay, I could have done without this. And uh, one of them was Haddock burping into the like gas tank. And yeah. then the other- I laughed out loud. <laughs> so oh the other God. was- uh, snowy running through the cows and he like hits the cow in the udder and then you see the cow's face and it's like <laughs> i actually thought that I was, was like, funny i could have done without that this this is such so like yeah. funny. you, you know can totally I... see some nickelodeon executive being like that's like, good shit uh, you need like some like cow water stuff because otherwise no. kids aren't gonna like this no you need no you know what it was? it was like you need a dog scene you need a cute dog scene that's what kids love like that's like that's what they were like they were like you need something silly to happen with that dog and mm-hmm. then and then it, it won me over. I love that scene. So fuck you, Nick. You know what scene <laughs> no, I could have done I liked without? most of it because I, I love Snowy. I but. could have done. I could have done without the stupid scene where they were like fighting in the shipyard with the fucking cranes. Like, yeah, no, that's blockbuster. I, 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 that, that was at blockbuster. At that point, I was like, guys, it's the end. It's the end already. Just get it yeah. over with. Yeah, the last like twenty minutes was nonstop action scenes, which weren't in the books, and that was interesting to see. Number one. Uh, the opera singer woman who shatters the glass, that's actually a character from other Tintin books. That oh, we didn't really? really? Okay. Cool. Yeah. So that wasn't completely taken out of nowhere. Cool. Um, but I did love the the chase scene. Me it was too. like three wow. minutes of just no cuts, nonstop. It was so sort good. of like what we were talking about in uh, Kingsman. It was a similar thing to like those really long yeah. take action scenes. Really but good. This, this one, there was like actually no cutting, like not even sneaky cuts because it was all animated. How do you yeah. even mocap all that? Like, how do you mocap? They, like, I watched, they did like the individual actions. So if you think about the scene, it kept switching perspective. Like mm-hmm. it would move the camera back and forth between the different characters. Mm-hmm. And so they'd shoot like from when you see the character until like when they land in the water and then you don't see them anymore. Oh, And then it. they just moved all that and animated it all together it was so good that really was a yeah. great scene that that scene i was like this is great like action movie mm-hmm. john yeah. there's something though. really exhilarating about not cutting <laughs> but there's something about the john williams music in the background like it's not like you know in in, in kingsman it was like yeah. and you're like yeah 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 and then in this one it's like that shit's happening and it's john williams in the background i am it's like first thing like beethoven but you know what i mean i don't even know if that's beethoven it's just like um, it's just like Star Wars in the background, or 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 like Jurassic Park in the background, or like or like Harry Taco Potter. Or, Not, sorry, the thing that you were Harry Potter Taco Bell. Oh yeah, that, that, thank you for clarifying. Yeah, no, but it's just like, 
<laughs> Nick knows his shit. No, I don't know what's going on right now. <laughs> but um, no, but it you was might have like been singing it in a different key, though. Sorry, go most on. likely. I'm 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 more of like a B minor key myself. But 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 yeah. So it's just like weird, like weird, like the music wasn't great with that scene, but it was fine. It was fine, you know. You was you can tell fine. that Williams had fun with this soundtrack even Williams though like, it didn't fun. super f- it didn't like fit it really it 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 was fun and you could tell that you know steven spielberg does basically everything with john lucas it's his boy but, yeah he's his boy but yeah like <laughs> it it just felt like where he like spielberg came to him and was like hey you got any more got any more indiana jones you got any cuts you got any, you, <laughs> like just let's let's put those in the movie you don't even have to work we're, we're just gonna use the old shit <laughs> just take the out cuts from indiana jones and yeah honestly i could see that happening how much did john williams probably writes just for fun and then he's like oh, i'll use this one day i'll probably use this one day oh, probably, probably a lot even spielberg's my boy <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny because i think we really don't have a ton to say about the movie. We're sort of like, yeah, it was it was a Hollywood action movie. Yeah. <laughs> and we talked, I think half the time that we talked so far was about the, yeah, half the, the time that we talked so far was about the animation and production and how weird of a, like an assembly of crew was. But I think that's also kind of a testament to how well the movie works mm-hmm. because it works in ways that you don't think about. It's entertaining in a really seamless way that just works and there's nothing to really discuss it's just fun in the moment and then you forget about it after you know yeah. what it's just like the art yeah it's just like the art in tintin like it never was like it never was glaring yeah, at it my doesn't face announce itself as doing something really specific yeah. and like different yeah and i guess that's what steven spielberg is known for like that's why he that's like that's part of his 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 craft like he yeah. he the way he puts his, his work out like that's how he is so that makes sense that's cool Good, good for them. Good for them. Yeah. So I, I, I do, I do have to admit, I, I liked how they ended it right, where they like they flipped it completely, based like from from the comic book where they yeah. they find the treasure, but then they want to go on the the salvaging the shipwreck after, whereas in yeah. the book it was the opposite. And I, I was, I was surprised that they did that just because I was waiting for like another 20 minutes of just like grogging along like getting introduced to like four more new characters and stuff mm-hmm. like that but when they just like ended it there with like them like opening up the 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 treasure map or whatever and being like oh there's more treasure and then it just ended i was like wait wait what really huh mm-hmm. are, are you kidding me like Luke, i, I think like, it's so funny how not attuned to structure you are and how attuned to structure i am yeah because i thought that was I coming just, from a I mile just, fucking away i knew it was yeah. over i was like but i think it's funny because like most people like will watch like that and most people are like wait i'm so ready for the next one sequel bit it, it was late at night when i got done so i didn't but if it was earlier i would have been like Tintin 2 release date. <laughs> it actually it took them like nine years from getting the rights until releasing this movie. And they had originally planned to make a trilogy. And if you ask Peter Jackson and Steven Spielberg, they're still like, oh yeah, we want to make another one eventually. But they haven't started on it. You know what I think is funny? That like why would they set themselves up for a sequel so glaringly like that if they're if they're if well, they're it, not no, even fully it sure? That, it that's also how it used to be back in the day. Look at all the movies that did bad that 
well, at the end have like a oh there's going to be a, a a sequel what well, what what's it the didn't what's seem the comic like that to me the, though it didn't seem like that to me no it it felt like they could have but it's like yeah. no Tintin's just going on another adventure but yeah if you have a sequel it would have uh taken place after they had already salvaged the ship that's how i felt i feel like that's how you make it interesting oh good point because I like guess you're right you, maybe it's more, i already know yeah, it's not that you need to see them salvaging the shipwreck because as we discussed, that was the boring most part. boring part of the comic. It's not the thing that we want to see. I wonder if I felt that way because I read the books and I knew that there was more to the story. But if mm-hmm. somebody who doesn't know about Tintin watches it, they're like, oh, okay, cool. That was that was a cute little ending, you know? Yeah. So maybe that... And maybe- it, yeah. it, it makes you excited like, ooh, now they're going to go on a treasure hunt and you can think about like what would happen if they were, but you don't need to see it. It's not... That's not the story. Yeah. yeah, even even if they were to make another movie, I can see them basically just making like a little short montage at the beginning, like it, during like a title sequence. Yeah, of, or it like, could have been the end credits finding, montage. Yeah, it could. I didn't watch the end credits. Speaking montage, of title so sequences, maybe it was, but oh, that the title, title sequence, sequence was so good. Oh yeah, my god, it was, I it was I I think it was my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, it was one of my favorite parts. <laughs> how do you how would you describe it, Andre? It, it was like. Pink Panther-esque in terms of the way it delivered itself. It was very silhouette and very like in the shadows, mysterious, jazzy vibe. Except it was John Williams music, so it wasn't jazzy. But it was like, it was very like discreet um, showing like the character and how he goes on journeys and adventures and things. It basically set up the, the stage. It had pretty much every character and there were really cool transitions between the scenes of like mm-hmm. the swirling around and yeah, that sort of thing that opening credits do really well. That was an awesome opening credit. Like, I, I was worried that they spoiled the movie for me, like, when it was done, because I was like, this is so good. Like, it was a movie no, of it itself. Actually, it incorporated stuff from all the Tintin books that they didn't adapt. Yeah, that's what I figured. Mm. I think the only thing that we didn't really talk that much about was, do you think that it captured the spirit of the comics? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. In its yeah. own way. Like, it, it captured the spirit of the comics through its medium, the medium that it was presented in. So mm-hmm. it did a good job doing that, doing capturing that spirit, but with the limitations of film. I, I yeah. think it I think it did a great job in introducing Tintin to really an American audience because America loves blockbusters. Mm-hmm. So they made this I can see Sp- Steven Spielberg specifically making this movie being like, you know, I grew up with Tintin or like, you know, Moffat and everyone else grew up with Tintin because they're like the weird outliers who was were introduced to it now because of I want to share my love of this series with other people in the only way that I know how, which is a multi-million dollar blockbuster. (laughs) (laughs) Steven Spielberg is like, I need to share the story, but how can I do it without making money? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I agree. It had all of the fun adventure elements that I loved about the comics. It had a lot of the character, like I think that the characters were captured very well, both their visual style and uh, just the character as a whole. Yeah. It was good. It was good stuff. Yeah. Um, and this movie also, it did very well financially and critically. Oh, really? Good for them. Yeah. Wow. I that's a, I, I didn't look up any stats, but I kind of 
it it felt like it would have been a bomb for me. That's me just too. Because there hasn't yeah. been another one. Me too. I felt I, I I refused to look at tomato the tomato score because I was I was like um I don't want to be influenced and um yeah. I actually thought it probably was a, a a bomb. I didn't even look after. I just assumed mm-hmm. it was a bomb, even though everything was good about it. Like there was nothing wrong with it. I was like I feel like this just didn't didn't make waves because I never heard about it. Yeah. So yeah, that's interesting to me. I don't know like no how yeah. it was popular if we didn't know about it i didn't but, hear about it i didn't see it during that time i was what like going to the movie theater every single week so well, like, we were high schoolers at that time so like yeah, no i, we I was going the, to movie every week but Luke you were in the movies started every college week. already yeah but, you had yeah. started college Luke. so it's like we were we are uh oh, i was being the, sad in my dorm room okay <laughs> <laughs> we're not well, the would have been just the thing to cheer you up <laughs> listen i listen i was going i was going to go to the living room theaters right on campus Go see Tintin and then cry about how my girlfriend just broke up with me. (laughs) On that note, (laughs) what is your preference, comic books or movie, Andre? I think I like the books better. Even though I really like the the movie, I thought the movie was really well done. I I I don't know. I think that the comics was the original. The comics is the reason that we had a movie, and the comics was really enjoyable um, and timeless. And I think that the movie un- is not timeless like the comics. Unfortunately, I think this movie, um, for all its greatness, I think in like fifty years it will be looked back and we'll be like, "Ooh, that was weird." And I think that the comics, the fact that I read it and it never felt like I was reading something from like almost like like over 50 years ago is beyond impressive. So there's just I, I pick it for that reason, even though like they are both pretty good to me, you know, like they both weren't my cup of tea, but they both were enjoyable enough. So those are my reasons. Yeah, I'm I'm comics all the way. Uh, I like the movie. I don't think I'll ever rewatch it. But yeah, same. I, yeah I did enjoy it. But I'm I'm gonna buy that box set of the rest of the books. <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> yeah. gonna read the rest of them. Yeah. So I guess uh, even though I did have my qualms with the book in regards to you know the way that they presented the story and the speech bubbles and you know stuff like that and like pacing at times. Uh, yeah, I I very much see the comic as more of a timeless classic, and I had more problems with certain things in the movie than I did in the book. So. Yeah, I, th- I think I think book. Yeah. Wow. So we are we are unanimous once again. This is like the weird. I don't know what the heck happened. What alternate timeline we've entered? But the last three episodes, <laughs> we have been in complete accordance. Like that's hey, crazy. Hey, Andre, it's Corona. Yeah, it's the Corona. Uh, it was, and it's also we didn't like the first one. A silent voice. We all chose the book. Kingsman. We all chose the movie. This one, we all chose the book. If we so don't all like, like, yeah, the next one. If we don't all like the movie, like we've gone back to the normal timeline. Like something, like the the glitch in the matrix is gone. So, <laughs> well, we'll get into what the next one is in a second. But first, our closing quote. I couldn't find one that was as fitting as most of the other episodes, uh, because most of the interviews were about like steven spielberg and peter jackson what is it like to work with each other and they're all like it's Mm -hmm. fun um and then they're like what was it like to use this new motion capture technology um yeah so it was a pain in the ass uh. (laughs) but i did find one quote of uh spielberg talking about how they used herge's uh, work as an inspiration so he said every one of the panels in an herge adventures of tintin book tells a story Beyond the dialogue that is encapsulated in a common bubble above the characters' heads, Hergé used body language to communicate emotion, anxiety, tension, anger. I simply created a style guide from many of those illustrations, put them on the walls of the performance capture stage. 
So all the actors started to study their poses. That's what I was talking about before. Mm. Uh, then I was able to shoot rather lengthy, continuous shots where I was attempting to create the same visual panels with a movie frame around them that Hergé had done with comics. That's cool. He seems like a yeah. good guy. I wish I knew him. Like I'd be like, hey, what's up to you? <laughs> yeah, a lot of his interviews when he would talk about the comics, he would talk about it more in like a, an instructional way of like, well, this is what I did with the comics as opposed to mm-hmm. him talking about comics as a medium. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So anyway, next month we're going to do the manga. All you need is kill and the Hollywood action movie edge of tomorrow, which was adapted from it. I'm uh, I'm, I'm very excited. I've never for heard of any of those two. Wow. Well, really? Edge of tomorrow uh, stars Tom Cruise. My boy. And it oh. was directed by Doug Lehman who uh, directed The Born Identity. And All You Need Is Kill was uh, originally a light novel, but we're reading the manga, as I think most people in America know the manga more. Uh, It was an adaptation of the light novel. And uh, it was drawn by the guy who drew Death Note. Oh, that's cool. This this will be an interesting one. (laughs) Lots to talk about there. So we'll see you all next month. Bye-bye. You know, I just realized that uh, Scientology and the underground tickling fetish rings have a lot in common.